Welcome back to another installment of Two Bros in a Podcast. This is our sixth episode. I am Greg Jackson alongside my older brother, Brian. Uh, it's been a few weeks, so we're going to try to catch up on some of the areas, sports action, uh, college and professional. And uh, since today's the final day of the Major League Baseball regular season, I feel like this is an appropriate time to start talking about the Cardinals, uh, reflect on their season. Um, second straight year, Brian, that they're not going to be making the postseason yet again. They're finishing above 500. Uh, you know, Mike Matheny's in his six years manager. All six years are above 500. Uh, it, it's kind of they're kind of in that in between phase where the Cardinals fans are a little frustrated. They didn't make the postseason, but at the same point, it could be worse given some of the injuries they've had, given some of the things that just didn't work out for them this season. Well, they they had a good stretch of of success since the turn of the century, and unfortunately, with a streak of success comes a, a increased expectations. And part of that was their their division was weak there for for a short stretch in the early two thousands, um, and even when the Pirates got better there um, around the 2010 and a few years after as they started getting better uh, the cardinals kind of held them off the brewers also um and now you're starting to see the division get a lot better i mean the brewers um new front office and they're really improving the cubs have have shown what they're capable of doing and you know i don't think the pirates are are too far off from making another push that being said i i think a lot of the fans that are wanting Matheny gone um, are being a little bit unreasonable with their expectations. Uh, I don't know. First off, I don't know who they're going to go for. Um, you could obviously go. Um, Cardinals have a couple pretty good managers in their minor league system. Yeah, Sebi Clapp at AAA, which, by the way, had a great uh, year. Impressive year by Memphis. You know, best record in in program history. And you also have to factor in that. Uh, by the end of the regular season, or pretty close to around the 40-man call-up, half of Memphis's opening day starting lineup was in St. Louis. So the fact that even though they lost their best players, they did a pretty good job of replenishing yeah. and doing a good job. And they they won the Pacific Coast League, finished uh, 40 games over 500, and, and they just happened to lose to Durham in the uh, AAA World Series championship game. But still, a, a heck of a season by Memphis. It's so. I'm not sure you're gonna. Find I'm not gonna say a better manager, but but one to step in and do just as good right off the bat. I, I think sometimes we we forget to realize how how well the the young guys we called up over the past several years had actually done. You know, I mean, a couple years ago they won a hundred games, or was that last year they won a hundred games? And I know two years ago they won so many one run games that was just uncharacteristic. They had a, an unbelievable. Um, performance by their entire pitching staff, and that's just not—that's not typical. No, and you can't expect to sustain that, you know. And then I think even—I think it was four years ago where their runners in scoring position um, production was just off the charts. Mm-hmm. And you're going to regress the mean at some point, and that's what you're seeing here. And at some point, you're going to have to rely not totally on on your youth on on your prospects coming up you're going to have to have some veterans that are able to produce and the last two three years there i mean the closest thing you had to a splash signing or trade was um was the cardinals going out and getting dexter fowler and i'm not even sure you call that a big splash because he's not a superstar 
and, and here's two things I think we have to factor in. Tony La Russa, for a bulk of his time in St. Louis, had an all Albert Pujols-type caliber player. I don't think we can say in Athene's first six years, they've had that. They, and so, in all in essence, you have to say he's done a heck of a job piecing things together. And here's one thing I want to mention about people who are calling for his head, and I, I, I get it. You, you, some, not everybody's going to be happy. But there's two ways to approach this. In, in this situation, you have if you're going to get rid of somebody, you'd have to know who you're going to replace them with. Um, and I look out there, and I don't know who you could find that would do a better job. The other aspect is if you just need to get rid of somebody and anybody you bring in will be better, which we saw with Mizzou basketball and Kim Anderson. Basically, it didn't matter. Kim just wasn't getting the job done. He had to go. And in their mind, they had plenty of options to get someone in who would come in and do better. They haven't even played a game yet, and uh, you know the program's already had a huge turnaround in morale. Um, so for me, you know, the, the Cardinals could very easily make the postseason next year, and then all the naysayers will, uh, I mean, they're not going to have much to say. But, you know, for now, I, at this point, they just need to kind of find a way to not really rebuild or reload, but just find some cohesiveness, find some chemistry, because I really felt that they were struggling in the chemistry department. Well, the closest thing you had to a superstar on the team was a Yadier Molina, and he's not a superstar. No, I mean, um, yeah. he's a mainstay. He's he solidifies your your pitching staff, and you know, there there's few catchers who are in the same category as him um, currently. Mm-hmm. But that's the closest thing you've got to that to a clubhouse leader. They they lost a lot with a Matt Holiday, not his production so much, but but he was a mainstay. He was he was a respected veteran, and I'm not saying you have to have that, but you know, if if you're not, I'm not gonna say run away at the division, but if you're not, you know, really making some noise, you've got to have somebody like that to help you kind of mitigate those those bad stretches in the season. And I felt like you also had an Adam Wainwright who was ready to pass the torch of the ace onto Carlos Martinez. So you, you saw Adam Wainwright, who is clearly the highest paid pitcher. I don't know. I don't think he's a high. He won't be a highest paid player next year. Now with Yadi getting his. Uh, new extension, but here's the thing: you got a, a guy who's getting paid 19.5 million dollars a year, who is not your ace, who's willing to pass the torch. And I don't think Carlos Martinez was ready to take the torch yet this season. Um, were there times he went out and pitched like an ace? Yes, but not consistently enough, like fans had seen from Adam Wainwright in the past decade. Yeah, well, and they're just different style pitchers. Wainwright's never been dominant. Mm-hmm. You know, he's relied on on pitches that. Aren't your dominant pitches? You know, a curveball pitcher is not a dominant pitcher. It's not. Yeah. A, it's not. Or a cutter pitcher. Yeah, yeah, it's not an explosive slider or an electric fastball, but it worked. And you know, Carlos is the exact opposite of that. Everything he comes is coming at you with. I mean, it's explosive. It's it's dynamic. And I'm still not sold that he's going to be the ace of the future. You know. Um, it, just so much can change from year to year, though. Um, so let's stick. Let's stick with the pitching staff uh, for 2018. What do you think the rotation is going to look like? Because I imagine there will be some changes. It's not going to be well, the same. We're going to have some players go. We're going to have some players coming back from injury. What do you think it looks like? You, you've got your top three, which is Carlos Martinez, Anthony Reyes, and Luke Weaver. Those are three at the top. Um, Lance Lynn, I don't think, will be back. I, I hope he does. I hope they make a push for him because Lance Lynn is very valuable in that you could count on him for 200 innings a year, 
Um, you could count on him just about every time out to go, you know, six, seven innings and, and eat up a bunch. Um, he's not he's not anything fancy, but man, he's he's one of those you know he's one of those bulldog battler types. Um, and really quick, Alex Reyes, not Anthony Reyes. Right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's. Alex Reyes, you don't know what you're going to get out of him mm-hmm. um, because he's coming straight off of that injury. I, if if they can get, you know, 160, 170 innings out of him, which would be huge um, to get that kind of production off of off of a young guy who just came off of a year long injury, that would be big. Luke Weaver pretty much had his audition for the pitching staff the last. You know, month, month and a half of the mm-hmm. season, and did great. Um, but I think those are three guys you got to look at at the top. I'm assuming Wainwright's going to be back to the pitching staff. I think he's got one more year on his contract. I think next year's his final year. I'm not sure if there's an option but after that. The or benefit not. to this is he doesn't have to be anything more than the number four guy. But here's my thing. I don't think Weaver and Reyes are going to go past six innings very often, and I don't know how high you could put people up in the rotation if you don't have confidence in them going into the seventh inning. I don't I, I think Wainwright stays in the number two spot again. Just because he, I mean he's gonna you need to get him thirty plus starts because this, this well, he'll may have be, thirty yeah, plus starts. And this period. may be his last year. I, the thing that made me frustrated about this year was I thought they packed it in when they said we're not gonna bring Wainwright back. We're gonna bring him out of the bullpen. To me he's not a bullpen pitcher anymore. No, when he came but, back from the Achilles injury, he struggled out of the bullpen in his return and it's like but he did either find starter or let him rest. He did fine this year and right. here's the thing you have to look at. It doesn't matter what the guy's done in the past. Okay? It's what can he do this year. And if he's not anything more than a number four pitcher, which he may not be. I mean, he hasn't gotten back to true Wainwright form after the Achilles injury. Mm-hmm. He just he didn't. So I'm sorry, but if he's not anything better than number four pitcher, I'm not pitching him anything better than number four slot. Mm-hmm. And if that means we got to put some of these younger guys forward, that's what you got to do. I, I'm sorry, but you got to look at this going forward. Like here's here's really what we're going at going forward. And that so so that's four slots you have open. And I'm not sure who your number five is. I mean... Yeah, that could be a spring training audition right there. I don't think Flaherty's ready for that. Um, but, okay, so and then one last thing before we transition on offense. Because we... Uh, there, I don't see them making a free agent splash like they did. And like you said, I don't know if we can call Fowler a free agent splash. I thought he was a must-have in far as like getting somebody last offseason. He did provide but some But I pop. think he had a lot of fans fooled in that he was this stellar defensive center fielder. And a great leadoff hitter, which he's actually been a he's, number he's three not, hitter. He's not been either of those things. He's not been a leadoff hitter, and he's not been a, a great defensive center fielder. And, and he did also miss a month total or so of action. So if, if he had a full season maybe we're maybe not sure what kind, yeah and i think if he gets a full season 2018 i'd be curious he's not as numbers. bad a signing as the leak signing yes but he's not been a good signing so far um, he just hasn't he hasn't i'm not sure he's been that presence in the clubhouse that they'd hoped he would be and you know right now they're they're Got too many outfielders as is. And that was what I was going to ask you next. Who stays or who goes? Because I don't think you could keep Fowler, Pham, Piscotti, and Gritchick. I don't well, think sure you can. can. I mean, sure you can. Well, I, but okay. How, I think, how do you platoon them? Because to me, I think at some point, I think the do you old, look to trade one of them and see I think what you the, get? I think the old, well, there's no problem in carrying four normal outfielders with the way they platoon and the way they give days off. 
I do not think, I think the only person that's that's earned this year, I think the only one of those four that's earned everyday innings has been Tommy Pham. Exactly. I don't think any of those other three have. And if that's the way you treat going into spring training, fine. Honestly, the, the big signing I'd like to see would be an outfielder, a power bat in the outfield. I'd like to see him take that take that TV, new TV contract money. I'd like to see him go after Giancarlo Stanton. He's a young guy. He's got a very strong arm. And he's that feared bat in the middle of the lineup that the Cardinals have been missing for so That's long. That's true. Um, all right. So transition into, let's see. We're, we're Okay, our last podcast we talked about Mizzou football. Um, I think we can, if people want to go back and listen, you could tell that our um, our, our predictions were not anywhere near close, and we're probably wavering on the the predictions from here on out. So Mizzou's just coming off a of bye week. They're one and three right now. Their only win was the opener against Missouri State, and didn't look good in that. No, uh, really, the I was okay with the South Carolina loss because I really wasn't expecting that. I don't think we were expecting a blowout loss to Purdue. Nobody was expecting that, and the Auburn game. And and to me, from from little bits and pieces from what I've seen. You're seeing an offense that was extremely explosive in week one, and it has not been explosive since. And you're seeing a defense that has done pretty good at stopping uh, teams. Or Really, to be honest, I think they've done a pretty good job in the past of holding teams below their average, whether it's yards in the air, yards rushing, or points scored. And we're not seeing that. We're seeing teams run or pass on them at will. All, all you've seen on this is a team that was explosive against a – not a not very good FCS team and you know the defense looked pretty poor there the offense looked great but they should be able to score at will against Missouri State and let's be honest the the reason they scored so many points was because you had to keep Drew Locke and the starters in all game because your defense wasn't holding them and and you couldn't get a big lead so that's that's an issue there. Losing to South Carolina, okay, I could live with that. The fact that they didn't put up much of a fight after the first 10 minutes of the football game, I had a problem with that. Okay, and South Carolina played a very clean game. They didn't make mistakes. They didn't do anything to lose the game. But they were, I mean, let's face it, they were hand, their offense was handed a short field a couple different times. And you don't have that, and you're looking at maybe a 17-10 to 10 game. And all of a sudden, that's a game maybe you should be winning. And that's what I have a problem with, is it was just a very sloppy game from Mizzou's standpoint. Should have at least been competitive in it, and they weren't after the first quarter. And then, boy, laying an egg on that Purdue game, that was probably the worst game I think I've seen in person. It looked, I I hate to say a team quit, but it looked like a team gave up. And I don't know what, what other way to say about it, but they... And I think there were some players in the post game that said we, some of the guys quit. I think they were. Uh, I thought it was a little strange. Usually, you don't see too many players throw their teammates under the bus, but I think they're like, "Hey, we're being honest." Well, some frustration, people are playing and some aren't. Frustration will sit in there, and you know, you're talking about 19, 20 year old kids dealing with that level of frustration they might not have felt before, because a lot of them came from very good programs that, if they were losing, they weren't getting skunked like that. And, and then you had the Auburn game, which I don't think anybody expected that to be a close game. You know, a lot of people were knocking Auburn, their offense not being that good the last couple weeks before that. But you're talking about going against a 
just a very subpar defense that Missouri has. And they ran all over Mizzou with their second string running back. Mm-hmm. You know, they were able to rest Petway. And it's I don't know where it goes from here, but the 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 Barry Odom post game conference. Right, and that was what I was gonna bring up next was that's during the bye week, I thought that was a lot of the talk was the state of the program speech he gave during the post game well, presser. And uh, to me, it just—I don't know—I don't know if it was quite desperation. I think it was a coach who's frustrated, and a coach who knew that some questions were coming his way, and he just wanted to to beat the. I don't know if it was he wanted to beat them to the punch and kind of just get his thoughts out there before they had a, a chance to ask. But it, it was one of those where I, I don't really know what quite to take away from that, other than the fact that yes, I get it. You're working hard. You want this team to play well, but. The thing is, fans can see down the road, and I don't know if we could see this team getting much better later this season. It was, it was very much a prepared statement that may have been between Odom and his his personal PR guy, but this was the hey, we, I'm going out with this opening statement if we get you know housed by three four touchdowns, and you know. It left you. It, it didn't leave anybody feeling with with changed emotions. You either thought, "Hey, this is the guy for the job, and he's he's stating things the way they are," or you were left thinking, "Man, this is a guy who's in over his head, and he's just making a desperation statement." And, and, we're, and we're seeing a lot of comparisons from him to Kim Anderson because we saw with Kim Anderson, yes, you're running the program the right way. Yes, you're you're trying to. Uh, you know, raise these kids into, I mean, great student athletes. But the thing is, you also have to win as you do that because we well, see other programs that do what you want to do and they also win. And to me, it's you have to do both. There, there are some similarities, and there are some differences. You know, you have the similarities are you had two coaches who are in over their heads. The difference is, is you have a young coach in Odom who's just not ready yet. And you have a coach in Kim Anderson who just missed his window. Maybe 20 years before that, he'd have been rated to lead a D1 program. The game changed on him, though, and he was past his prime, so to speak. Um, but that being said, we'll see where it goes from here. I don't. If they, I think they can win the the Idaho game at home. Mm-hmm. That's a team that's getting ready to drop down from FBS to S- FCS. Uh, they should be able to win that game. Maybe the UConn game on the road, but unless they have a significant improvement, which UConn, I, I want to say, barely lost to East Carolina, and East Carolina is not that bad of a program, so uh, it makes they me, haven't looked that good either. They haven't though. looked that good, but in the past, they've been a typical bowl-bound. Well, they're program. not. They're not. They, they may not be this year, but 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 you've got to look at what what I mean. Jim Stark's a smart guy, and he'll look at it at the end of the year, and if he thinks Barry Odom will be the guy that can take him out of this. He'll keep them on, but he's got to see something more than what they've seen now. Because if they're not competitive in any SEC games, and man, I tell you, the East is looking not very good. So if Mizzou can't even compete with no. the teams in the East outside of Georgia, they are going to be struggling. And I think that's when you start looking at who's the next guy to to take the lead. And you know, there's a number of there's a number of options out there that I, that are very interesting to me. Um, I I was talking about this last night, but I'd really like to see him back the truck up and bring in Mike Leach. Um, you know, his biggest 
his biggest detractor over the years was, sure, he has an explosive offense, but his defense is horrible. Well, you've got Alex Grinch, former Mizzou staffer, that's up there being his D coordinator and is, is doing really good things. Uh, and, and, I mean, you're talking about a team in Washington State that's been largely insignificant since the Ryan Leaf days, and they're doing stuff. So, you know, I, I think that's a call you have to be looking to make. And, and Sturk's already, you know, he's – He's already made some calls to some agents or, or some representatives, if yeah. nothing else. Well, and okay, so we've talked about uh, Cardinals. Not, I mean, it's not working out. We've talked Mizzou football. It's not working. Let's talk about something that is working out. Chiefs football. Oh boy, three and zero start. Um, I think we can first off say, okay, so the NFL season has started since the last time we did a podcast. I don't think either of us saw the New England win on the road coming. I don't no. think it completely blew us away and surprised us or shocked us, but at the same point, we already chalked that one up as a loss. Well, but you that were looking a at a team. Win. You were looking at a team that just lost their opening day um, running back. Um, a team that really has a, a so-so quarterback in, um, in Alex Smith. And has some guys on defense coming back from injury. So you weren't sure what to expect. They're opening it on the road against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, a team that, you know, really takes care of business at home. And I think that was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, spreads that week. If I was in a Survivor League, that would have been the game I was picking, and I'd have had the Patriots See, winning. See, and I held off. I did not pick that one for Survivor because for some reason I was like, I don't know if it's because I can't pick against the Chiefs or, or what it was, but for some reason I didn't feel confident picking that one, and I got lucky. I don't know who I picked, but... There are probably a lot uh, that... Oh, God, there's probably that. a lot of people who have struggled in Survivor, especially the past two weeks when well, you had a couple of... Uh, when you had some... Uh, some upsets here and there. There have been some pleasant surprises. Kareem Hunt came out of nowhere. Oh my! I mean, uh, you. I'm not saying people were thinking he wasn't going to do anything to contribute, but nobody could have seen this coming. But let's be honest. Like the the Chiefs drafts the past two years have. I mean, I don't know what I haven't really looked back and seen what kind of grades they've gotten. I can't imagine they were spectacular grades, but it's one of those where on draft day it may not look great, but if you go back and look uh, like. T- you you go back when the upcoming draft is going on, look back at the previous draft and the season that just occurred, and I think most people are going to be like, you know what, they need a, a letter grade bump at least because these kids, they, they do a pretty good job of taking second, third, and fourth rounders, maybe even fifth rounders that people really weren't, they're like, really, are you okay with drafting those guys? I, I think you draft them a little too high, and and they end up getting great product, great production well, out of those guys. You you had that, you had, Alex Smith had had. He had one really good game in New England, and he's had some okay games since. But you have a guy in Andy Reid who finally fully committed to, you know, a, a, a spread-style offense that for so many years we've heard couldn't work in the NFL. And, man, it it took the league by storm that first week or two. And, and in the third week against the Chargers, you kind of saw him revert back a little bit to his older style of – May being much more conservative on offense, but that shows you that this team can win in multiple ways, you know. And maybe they go into each week looking at in, into who their opponent is, and and okay, New England, you were going to have to win the, the way they played. You know, you couldn't go super conservative and expect to to win that game. Um, but you didn't see Andy Reid really pull out all the stops before, like he did in that New England game, and that was big because um, it shows a commitment to a different style. That, yeah. that I think can be largely successful. And I think a lot of people thought the Eric Berry Achilles injury week one against New England was going to be a game changer for the defense. I think they've done a pretty good job of 
you know, the, the Mitchell guy has done a great job of stepping up and, and making key contributions for them. Um, this was a program where I don't think people there, – there were a lot of question marks for the defense, which kind of surprised me because, yes, they lost to Pittsburgh. They didn't give up a touchdown to that Pittsburgh team, though. It was six field goals is what beat them. Well. And to me, I was like, yeah, they did a pretty good job of keeping them out of the end zone. And you should feel – there were question marks with Justin Houston. But that's that whole bend, don't exactly. break defense. And – that can that can be okay, but you have to be a stopper come playoffs. I mean, six scoring drives, period, is a lot to give up in, in the postseason. And True, but points-wise, six field goals. I mean, if you're a defense, what would you rather do? Give up six field goals or give up three touchdown drives? And I mean, I, I get it's three more points, but to me it's that My, my I, point is, is that's a lot of times in the red zone, and you've, you've got to be a little bit better at stopping them from getting there. I agree. Um but, okay, so going back to talking about this year, my thought was with the struggles at running back was what, how much emphasis was there going to be on Tyreek Hill? And the thing I like about Kareem Hunt is teams aren't focusing on Tyreek Hill as much. If you want to throw all your eggs in the basket to start stopping Hunt, Tyreek Hill is going to, going to blast you away. If you want to stop Hill... Hunt's gotcha. You want to try to stop them both? Okay, they've got Travis Kelsey. Yeah, to have, me, I don't think there are going to be many defenses that are going to stop all their weapons. They have three very electric players at, at the skill position level. And that's not saying Travis Kelsey is is you know the best tight end out there. But in this system, he works very well. And you, as long as you're, you're going into it with the correct game plan and utilizing those three the best you can... It's gonna it's gonna work well. Now it's a long season. It's a grind. It's a 16 game season. The Chiefs still haven't. I mean, they've got a test coming up tomorrow night, Monday night football against the Redskins. They've got they still got to play um, the Raiders two times. They still got to play the Broncos two times. There, there's a lot left on the schedule. They still got to go at Houston, which gave up or which scored 57 points uh, this week. That's Sunday night football next week. They host the Steelers after that. They go to Oakland after that. They host Denver. Then they go to Dallas. And I mean, you take yeah. a look at it. They've got It's some, a brutal schedule. Yeah, it's a brutal schedule. You talk about their next easiest game, if you consider this easy, is they go to New York Giants on the road in mid-November. And Which I don't is still even, a team that can jump up and get easy. Um, They really don't have any Patsy games. Uh, You could call maybe at New York Jets Patsy, but the Jets won today, so they're now two and two. I, I mean, you, you, I don't know if they have any extremely like I will bet the house on them to win this week because I mean it's just a brutal schedule. It's it's been great starting out three and zero, but it's it's going to be a grind and an injury to any of those three players could yeah. really dam- put a damper on the season. And so you've, you've just got to hope they stay healthy and and we go from there. But it's, yeah, it's a grind. And I hope they hold up. But for as great as you feel after the first three games, it's it's still going to be a pretty big test to make it, you know, nine, ten wins this season. But, I mean, at this point, do you feel pretty confident they'll win the AFC West? Because you have to remember, Man. the way it works, I mean, you know, you, you play everybody in your division. I think everybody plays the cross-division team. So they a lot of the, te- the teams in the divisions all have similar schedules. So they have similar if one schedules. team has a hard schedule, they all have hard schedules. Uh, but, again, you're talking about a team that hasn't played the Broncos yet, hasn't played the Raiders yet. It's too hard to say. Because um, last year, I'd have put good money on the Raiders to go to the Super Bowl if Derek Carr hadn't gone down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It, it's. 
I'm I'm thinking I'm confident that they're going to make the playoffs because they're still the wild card. And you're talking about another a, a division that could get both the wild cards. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's that's very possible. But it's it, we're still a long way off. It's it's too hard to to make a prediction about about the division three games in. I I hope they do, but without playing either of those other two teams, I'm not. I'm still not set on anything. Okay, and then uh, one of our last topics we want to transition into is uh, the news that's broke or that broke last week with NCAA basketball. Uh, we've seen some uh, arrests of assistant coaches at various programs. We've seen uh, a firing of Rick Pitino at Louisville, and so Brian, have, have we with an investigation like this with the news that broke? Are, is this just the beginning? Yep. Do you feel like how much more do you feel like can come? This after is this? this is tip of the iceberg, guys. And so here's the thing: this came out. There was an an FBI um, investigation in 2016. There was a financial advisor that was indicted on wire fraud um, for stealing money from a few NBA athletes. And as part of that, they brought him in. They were ready to throw the book at him and they got him to flip and that's where these four assistant coaches names came from and they will do the same thing to those four assistant coaches they will bring them in they'll throw the book at them and they'll probably get them to flip okay um so you're just going to see this parachuting out from each of these guys these four will name some people whoever they bring in from that will name some people and you you got to remember this is not the NCAA investigation this is the FBI they have subpoena power they have the act to to move unbelievably quickly and you know it's going to people are used to how slow the investigation at North Carolina and Louisville and some places like that they're they're used to how slow that moved this is the FBI this is going to move swiftly and you're going to see a lot of things happening here you're going to see a lot of coaches fall there's not many head coaches that are sleeping easy um you know i'm sure coaches like Mike Shashevsky they're feeling a little more comfortable because um because how long they've been around and their reputation goes so far as to recruiting but man, there's there's a lot that probably aren't feeling too too secure right now. Who do you think? It, who you, I mean, so you mentioned a few. Like, who do you think are some head coaches who are, probably should be a little uneasy right now? I mean, do we go as high up as I'm not picking them out just because they're MU's rival, but do we pick out Kansas? And the only reason I say this is because I think I've read something on Twitter earlier this week that there may be a potential recruit, maybe not tied into this, but. That I mean, now you're looking at not only past recruits, but you're looking at future recruits because if this is going on, it it has it didn't stop in 2016. It's still ongoing, and you wonder what it ha- what implications there are with some recruits it's, that are currently in college or getting ready to start college. It's hard to say because you saw a lot of a lot of blue bloods that that were mentioned. You know, Arizona was mentioned in it. Um, but then you had some like Auburn came up, and even Alabama a couple days ago came yeah. up. And those aren't your traditional basketball powers. Now, those two didn't totally surprise me because you're talking about some non-traditional powers that got some some pretty big prospect names. And when that happens, that should really kind of, you know, that, that should kind of make caution flags go up. I'm not sure, though. I'm not sure who's safe, who's not safe. But... It, we're, we probably won't see the end of this until closer to next spring or summer. 
Um, and, and here's the, the scary part is, you're talking about this just being the FBI investigation. The NCAA can swoop in right behind and levy whatever they want. The FBI is just going after individuals, okay? The NCAA can come in after that and levy whatever sanctions they want. And then you're talking about, okay, then we go into the appeals sessions of it. And this could be, this is years away from, from the dust settling. But it's, it's just very interesting seeing how it's, it's all going to play out. Um, you know, Myron Piggy was a big name that came up oh, you know, back around the turn of the century. He was big into, into the recruits, um, into AAU basketball early on. And he went down for, for some sort of investigation. He just now got released from jail for his sentence. And he, it, the reason that's important is he didn't flip. He didn't bring anybody down with him. And he just now got out of jail, like a 15, 17-year uh, sentence. That's not going to happen in this case. You're not going to see people falling on their swords and not taking anybody down with them. You're, you're gonna, they're going to talk. And that's why I'm sitting there saying I'm not sure who's safe, who's, who's still going to be standing when the right. dust settles. And, and just I, I was looking up the story. So the co assistant coaches, the programs that have been affected by arrests are, you mentioned Auburn, uh, there's Oklahoma State, and there's USC along with Arizona. Um, and like you said, those are all big powers. We don't know what exactly is coming next. Here's the thing. I mean, so... I think the thing that could put MU fans at a lot of ease is this is where it really helped that Kim Anderson ran the program the right way. Um, there weren't a whole lot of, there weren't a ton of big, huge recruits. I think as we mentioned in a previous podcast that his top recruit in the past may have been Kevin Purrier. I guess if you want to count Jordan Barnett. I don't know if biggest, that wasn't the biggest recruit, but that's the most successful one right. under Kim Anderson. Remember, he had to re-recruit. Um, name and right. He sort of had to convince Jakeen and Gant to right. stay on board. Jakeen and Gant was probably the biggest name. That's true. You're right. I, I did forget about that. They were some highly touted. They just but, didn't but you're also you're right. You're talking about guys under the Tim Fuller um, blanket Regime, that yeah. luckily Fuller had moved on because I can only imagine how bad this would shake out. So I think out. bottom line, MU fans can probably feel much safer than other programs in this. I mean, I, I would never me, say never on things like right, this. But I, like I said, I think they should feel safer than other programs. They, they should probably feel a little safer. Conzo's typically been a clean as a whistle type of guy. And he's, I mean, he's got, uh, from what it seems, I know two of the three assistant coaches he's hired. Two of them are, are pretty straight-laced guys. Um, the only one I don't know is the one they brought from UMKC. Um, but Terrence Mann, or not Terrence Mann, um, his last name's Mann. I'd have to look it up. Um, but I him, don't feel the dreams reference there. <laughs> um, but, but Mann and Porter Sr. are, are pretty straight-laced guys that mm -hmm. I don't think you have to worry about. Again, I don't know anything about the third one, um, but you still can't rest easy until until this is settled it's it's just such a a volatile business and it, it, you know mizzou can feel safer than than a lot of other programs are going into what should be a pretty electric season and um i just read i think on twitter the other day that of the 9500 season tickets now that's not counting the student tickets or any of the suites or anything like that but the 9500 um public season tickets um, 9,000 plus of them have already been sold. So they're expecting to sell out of, of you know, what's available for season tickets. Um, fan interest is back up, and, man, that's a long way from a team that was drawing two to 3,000 for several games last year. 
Um, and well, as we wrap this up, I uh, just wanted to throw out there to show that we recorded this on a Sunday afternoon. The uh, Cardinals just lost to the Brewers, 6-1. to one. So the Cardinals end the season with a, what was it, 83-79 and 79 record. Yep. Um, so yeah, all right. Well, we'll go out on that note. Um, you know, I, I'm mentioning this now. Hopefully, uh, as I'm mentioning this, you've already done it. But one of the things that's new since our last podcast is... Um, our podcasts are, have been available on SoundCloud, but they will now be available on iTunes as well as Google Play. So um, we'll, we'll try to get these out there on social media. But this is one of those, like, going ahead and if you like the podcast, which I, I know there are at least a few of you out there who do, go on ahead and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Then they'll automatically download, and you can listen to them at your leisure. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time.